Love our time of worship. And as I, as I was thinking about that and what I want to share with you today, I want to share my heart with you. It's something that's been on my heart for a couple of weeks now. Um, but I want to talk for a few moments about authentic worship. And I want to start by saying this. Do you know that across the globe today in every church, there's one thing that every one of us have in common? Everyone. Every church across the globe today on this Lord's Day is spending time singing songs of praise and worship. Now, it may look different in different churches, but every church across the globe is spending a little time singing songs of praise and songs of worship. Now, there may be some traditional music in there, the old piano and the organ and the choir, and there may be real contemporary music with the band. There may be churches that don't have any instruments at all because their voices are their instruments, but they're singing those songs of praise and worship to God. I've been in churches where they would set the mood, you know, the environment, you know, they're like the ambience, if you will, and they had the, the smoke going on the stage and lights and um, with the flickering lights, and that's not good with people with ADHD because I was like all over the place, but they're trying to set the mood like, man, God, we're going to worship you, and it, it just looks different everywhere, but they're all worshiping. And I had this thought. I think sometimes we limit our perspective of what worship is, don't we? We limit it to a time and a place. And so here, here, for instance, we call this building the worship center. We say, join us on Sunday for worship at 9 and, and 1030, right? Let's spend a little bit of time singing songs of worship. And so in our minds, we kind of start minimizing what worship is. And we say, worship is something that we do on Sundays for about 20 to 30 minutes. And my concern with that limited view of what worship is, is this. It's, it's several concerns, but one of them is that we come into the house of worship prepared for a time of worship with conditions. You're like, I don't have conditions. Yeah, we, we do, we do. Because there are some songs that I can't worship to as easily as I can other songs. I just couldn't get into that new song. I didn't know that one. Or the bass seemed a little loud today. Or the drums, who does drums in a, a church? I just didn't like that. I can't worship this stuff. You know, we have conditions where we say, if, if it's my song or if, it's, you know, if it feels right, then I can worship. And it's kind of conditional on our part to a God who's worthy of our absolute best in worship. Another concern I have is this, is if it's one day a week, 30 minutes on that day, and you're driving to church, and you get in a fight with your spouse, you're, you're, you're just, you're done, right? You're, you're in church, and you're like, I'm just thinking my comeback, what I'm going to say when I get out of church, or the wife's like, I'm thinking about what I'm putting in his food when we get home. You're just like, stewing. you're missing an opportunity to worship a holy God, right? And I found a solution to that. Years ago, I fixed that in our marriage. We both take two separate vehicles to church. No, I'm kidding. I always come here way early, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm still in bed. You go ahead. So, um, but it, that does help. If you're having that problem today, just take two trucks, two cars to worship God. But the concern is, you know, we put conditions on it, or we miss an opportunity. And so Sunday comes, and we miss it because, you know, we're in a fight, or we're having some tension in our relationship with a loved one that was with us. And, and the worship happens, and we're like, well, I missed that opportunity. I'll go next week, and we'll do it again. And so you have to wait a whole week before you come to worship, and or here's another one that's even more dangerous, I think, and concerning is you come to church on Sunday and you engage in the singing of songs. You're like, hey, I was there and I was singing the songs out, but your heart wasn't in it. So now you're just going through the motions. And so those are concerns that I have when it comes to limiting our understanding and our view of what worship is. And so if that's what worship is, it's Sunday morning, 20 to 30 minutes, a lot of time. If that's worship, can I ask us a very serious question this morning? How are we doing? How are we doing with worship? I mean, corporately, but more importantly than because all of us are worshipers, how are you doing? How's your worship of a God who's worthy, 
worthy, worthy of worship. See, when we limit that type of worship, here's the problem. I think it falls embarrassingly short of the worship that he's worthy of. Amen? If we say, hey, worship is just on Sunday for a few minutes there, you know, songs, maybe I like them, maybe I don't, maybe I sing, maybe I won't. Um, but that's worship then. It just falls so short of what he is worthy as a, an amazing, loving, faithful, merciful God. He's worthy of so much more than that. Another problem is I think that it causes us to miss our purpose for which we were created. We were created by our loving creator to worship him. And so when we miss it, we really, really miss it. And so what is worship? You know, if we define it, was like, if that's worship, how are we doing? Um, it doesn't look good. So in, in, the, in the scriptures today, in Luke chapter 7, there's a story um, that I think paints us a very beautiful picture of authentic worship. And here's the thing, this passage has nothing to do with music, and it has nothing to do with singing, but in this story, we just see what I'm gonna call the heart of worship. And so if you don't hear anything else I say today, I need you to hear this. Worship is so much more than music. Worship is so much more than singing. I'm not minimizing those, those are important corporate worship, right? I'm not minimizing it, but it's so much more than that. And I will say this, it's so much more than even religion, all right? So Luke chapter 7, it's a story of the sinful woman who anoints the feet of Jesus, and it's found in verse 36. I want to read it, I want to pray one more time, and then I want to share um, my, my heart, my thoughts with you this morning. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off her feet, or with her hair. Um, then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story, this little parable. He says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said, Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we humble ourselves. Uh, we acknowledge that we don't have everything figured out and we are capable of mis 
reading and misunderstanding and even misrepresenting things. And so I ask right now that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to receive whatever truth you may want to show and reveal to us today. Lord, I humble myself. Lord, I know I'm just a a vessel, and I pray that you would just speak through the words that I share today, and I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said, well, if you don't get anything else I say today, hear this. It's more than music. It's more than uh, singing, and it's more than even religion. And and so here's what I would say. It's about the heart. And um, so what is worship? If you look at Webster's definition of what worship is, it says, reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage. Okay, let, let me think of that. Uh, that's hard for me to just wrap my mind around. Reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage. I, I, I want to give you a better definition. It's not in any textbooks. It's something that God put on my heart a couple of days ago, but it's a working definition I think will help us. Genuine, authentic worship is the heart's movement toward God. Okay? It's the heart's movement toward Jesus. And in the story, we see a beautiful picture of what genuine, authentic worship looks like with this woman. And so, set the scene. The Pharisee invites Jesus to come have dinner with him. Now, this is cool because Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. Now, a Pharisee, the, the religious person, Simon, invites him to dinner, and he goes to this dinner. And while he's there, um, it says that this woman heard that Jesus was there. She came. Now, let me clear up a couple of things first. Number one, it was very common for them in that day when they would invite a rabbi, a teacher, to dinner to teach that they would allow other people in that area to come and just kind of eavesdrop, if you will. They might come in the house, stand around the walls. They didn't join in on the meal, per se, but they just listened to what the teacher might want to say. They might even be in the windows just eavesdropping, listening to what's going on. And so it was not uncommon for people to come to a house where a rabbi was at. Where Jesus was in the Pharisee's house, this woman comes in to the house. Now the thing I think is interesting in this story, and I think that there's a truth there that we can grab a hold of, is she shows us that this is the sinful woman in that community going into a religious person's house. And I love this because authentic worshipers don't give a rip about peer pressure. They don't care what people think, amen? I mean, this woman's going into a Pharisee's house as a sinful woman. I want to be where Jesus is at. And I don't care what they think about me. I'm going to be where Jesus is at. I love that. I love that. Because I know how I'm wired and when it comes to like corporate worship, and it's like, do I raise my hands? Do I close my eyes? Do I sing out? Do I do a little sway back? I mean, what do I do? And I'm worried about what people might think of me if I truly engage in worship and distractions are away from me and I'm focused on Jesus. What are people going to think? I mean, she shows us that she don't care about the peer pressure. She wants to be where Jesus is at. Now, let me say this as a caveat. I think we have to be careful where we're at. Right? I mean, we don't just go to somewhere where you know it's not accepted and you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I was raised in a crazy church. And a lot of the things that we did was just crazy, all right? And, and as a kid, and years later, I'm um, a worship leader at a church, and this lady comes up to the front and talks to the pastor, and I'm sitting next to the pastor, and, and she says, Pastor, I just need to let you know I'm a runner. Now, if you don't know what a runner is, let me explain that. So during the worship service, everybody's getting excited, and the music's like jamming, and she's like, boom, doom, 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 doom. I mean, it's just like going, right? And somebody just gets up from their seat and starts running in circles around the church. Well, we thought it was cool as kids because it gave us a permission to run in the church without getting in trouble, right? It's the spirit. I mean, we just ran, right? And so anyways, this lady comes to the pastor and says, I just need to let you know I'm a runner. And I leaned over to the pastor after she walked away and I said, I'm a tripper. I will lay that lady out on her face if she runs around this church. 
We're going to do everything decent and in order. So I say that to say this. I mean, we shouldn't be worried about the peer pressure, but at the same time, we're always considerate of where we're at. Like, hey, I want to worship God, but get down off the chandeliers. It's all right. We don't do that here. Let's worship him in spirit and truth, right? What is worship? I believe it's a heart's movement toward God. And so this woman comes into Simon's house and while there, they're eating at the table. Another thing you need to know is when they would eat at a table, they don't do like we do, where we sit at a table in a chair and our feet are under us. They would uh, imagine a wheel, and the center of the wheel was the table, and they would lay inclined up next to the table. So they're on their elbow, and the head's at the table, and they're eating that way. Their feet were like spokes from a wheel kicked out away from the table. So very easy for someone to come up to someone's feet in that layout, if you will. And so the story says that Jesus is there, they're sharing a meal, and this woman who hears that Jesus is there, she comes to him and she comes into the house and she begins to anoint his feet. And it says the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited Jesus, kind of threw some shade at Jesus because, and people are like, what was the motive? What was the Pharisee inviting Jesus? Was he genuinely trying to get to know Jesus or was he trying to trap him? I think the latter, because they were always trying to find a reason to accuse Jesus and so maybe he invites him to his house because he's like, I'm going to try to get one of those gotcha moments with Jesus. And so he, he, he says, if this man were really a prophet, you know, Jesus is the Messiah, he's doing all these miracles. And, and, and so Simon says, well, if this man was a prophet, you know, prophets know things. And if he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And he would know that's a no-no because that makes him ceremonially unclean. He, he would know what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. And you can see in that moment the arrogance and the pride and maybe his misunderstanding of his own heart. Because like the story that Jesus says, one's forgiven great, one's forgiven little. Maybe in that moment the Pharisee's like, I'm better than her. If Jesus really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And this is something just to consider for a moment. Know this. Simon thought it, and Jesus heard it. So be careful what you think, right? You have these thoughts, and Jesus goes, I heard that. Like, really? Simon, I got something to say to you. And he gives him this parable of two people that had a loan debt, you know, 500 pieces of silver, a denarii. And the denarius was one day's wages. So imagine 500 days' wages, and another one was loaned 50 days' wages. I mean, pretty significant amounts of money. Neither one of them could repay. And so the lender says, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show kindness, and I'm going to forgive you. And he says, all right, now which one shows more love? Well, obviously the one that was forgiven the greater debt. And then he goes to Simon and says, oh, all right, let me kind of correct you here. And let me, let me show you what this woman has done. And kind of in a rebuke to the Pharisee, he begins to say, when I came into your house, you neglected something very important that she has offered to me. And so... Let me, let me give you something real quick. Because worship is a heart thing, and it's a position of the heart, it's like you can go through the motions, but if your heart is not engaged, then I think you're missing the opportunity to worship a God who's worthy of our worship. And so if it's, it's, a, it's a heart's movement toward God or a heart's movement toward Jesus, I want to give you five things that I think we can see in the passage here um, that shows us, kind of gives us acts of worship, like these little things that are considered worship in addition to music and singing. These five things that I think are like characteristics of a, an authentic worshiper. Uh, and because we're talking about the heart, let's just use the acronym of the word heart. And so the first one is H. And for H, let's talk about hospitality. So in those days, it was very customary if you were the host and you were inviting someone to your home that you did three things. It was very common. 
When you come to the door, the first thing to do is they would offer you feet washing, like you've been walking in with the sandals on the dusty ground, and you would walk in the door, and they would have a slave or a kid or someone would offer you as hospitality, hey, let me wash your feet. It was normal. It was absolutely normal in that day. It'd be like today us saying, hey, let me take your coat, or hey, have a seat over here. Can I get you something to drink, right? They showed the hospitality, and Jesus rebukes the Pharisee and says, hey, the very thing that you should have done is wash my feet, and you didn't do that. She did Looked different, but she did it. Another thing that they would do that was very common is they would greet each other with a kiss. Now, that's kind of weird in our culture today. We don't like that. We, we shake hands, fist bump, hey, man, hug, whatever. But in their day, they would greet each other with a kiss. It's very common. Hey, welcome. You know, you see it on TV. Very common. Hospitality. And another thing they would do is they would offer oil for anointing the head. And, and, and while there's some symbolism there, there's also just a very practical, like, um, lotion, if you will, in an arid country. Hey, let me, let me get you some oil so you can rub your... It's like refreshing. And those three things were ways that Simon should have showed hospitality to the Messiah as he was coming here. Is it possible that, that Simon felt like he didn't want to put Jesus, the, the teacher, the rabbi, on the same level with himself? And he just neglected to show hospitality. So I think an act of worship is hospitality. I, I see it in his neglect to offer it. And then the other side of it is she's the one that comes to the door. She's not the host, but she does show hospitality to Jesus. And I think that we can learn from that. I think when we show hospitality, let me just give you a definition. Hospitality is friendly reception and treatment of guests and strangers. Did you hear it? Friendly reception and treatment of guests and strangers. And so to show hospitality, when we show hospitality to people, we receive them, we, we, we treat them fairly, and we're showing kindness to them, I believe that's an act of worship. That's why I'm so passionate about it in this church. My heart is that when people come to the door, they feel welcome, that we're showing hospitality. We don't always nail that, but it's my desire that everybody that walks through this door feels like, hey, we are glad that you're here, and I hope that we show that. Hospitality is a big deal. To God, and I believe it's just one act of worship in addition to what we do in our singing. Amen. So hospitality is the H. Um, e. Uh, let's let's use the word ethics. So ethics is basically a system of moral principles or its rules of conduct. I'm saying, how does ethics tie into what authentic worship looks like? Well, simple. It's a word we call obedience. And so when we get to know God, and how many know we got the collection of the whole scriptures, right? The whole, the big picture. And he's, he's laid out for us who he is. We just finished a seven-week I Am series on who Jesus is, how he's revealed his character, his divinity, and how he's shown us our deepest need and how he meets those needs. And he reveals that to us in his word. He also reveals to us, hey, this is what it looks like to be my follower. you got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. you got to have no other gods before me. He goes through all these things. We call them the commands. And so when we take his word and we follow his word, we obey his word, that is also an act of worship to a holy God. Are you with me? So like these Christian ethics, these moral principles in our lives, we say, I want to live my life um, adhering to a code of conduct, if you will, that's based entirely on the scriptures. And so what happens is, and this is what turned me off from church, is what I saw as a young teen is we would come in and we would have a hallelujah, good time, crazy See, you know, time of worship, and we would walk out from the church, and I would see the absolute opposite in people that I considered like the leaders in the church and adults. And I'm like, if that's what Christianity is about, I, I don't want to play that game. I'm done. 
Chances are there's some of you here today that experienced the same thing. You got hurt by somebody who called themselves a Christian or even a pastor. And to that I would say this, please do not judge a holy God based on my inability to always keep his commands. Because I'm always going to fail. There are going to be seasons when I fail you, but man, that's not a failure from God. Amen? So ethics just simply says, hey God, I want to obey you. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? He goes on to say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so when we take God's word and we apply it and we say, I want to walk according to your word, that is also an act of worship. It's like, my heart is yours. God, and I want to follow you and I want to do what you call me to do. Right? Hospitality, ethics, obedience. We see that in this lady's life. He's like, where, where do you see her obedience? It's very simple. She responded to an invitation. You don't see this directly, but indirectly, if you have a, what, what is called the harmony of the Gospels. How many know the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all tell the same story from a different perspective? So not every author tells the exact same event. I mean, they all happen, but they don't all choose to record those events. But in a harmony of the Gospels, you see kind of the big picture, and you see how they all fit together in a timeline. And prior to this event is Matthew's account of Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I believe she heard that message, and I believe she responded to that. And when she heard that Jesus was there, she's like, I got to get to Jesus. Amen? And so this woman comes to Jesus, and she... Come, and coming to Jesus, believing that he is who he says he is, that's the obedience to the gospel. So what is the gospel? That God loved us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for us, that whosoever would believe in him would live forever, right? Not perish, but have everlasting life. So obedience to the gospel is believing Jesus is who he said he was, is trusting in him. And I, I see that here in her life, that she went to Jesus based on an invitation, come. And so she comes to Jesus we see that obedience there, and for us, practically every day, we've got God's word, and we can choose to be obedient to it or not obedient to it. And I think when we choose to do God's way, um, when no one's looking, we choose to just adhere to God's principles. When no one um, holds us accountable to it, we just know it's the right thing to do, that that is a beautiful act of worship to God. Hospitality, ethics, here's the A in the heart acronym. Adoration. So when you hear adoration, the first thing you think of is love, Right? Um, love of, of people, but adoration simply means the act of paying honor. So it's like you're honoring someone, and we see that in this woman's story here where she comes in, and by washing his feet, she's honoring Christ. It's an act of honor, lifting him up. Let me just tell you that, that it's hard to lift someone else up to elevate them in honor when we're too busy trying to elevate our own selves and honor our own selves. And so humility is required, right? And so the way we're wired is I want to sit in the driver's seat. I want to sit on the throne of my life. And so humility says, God, it's not about me, it's about you. And so I want to lift you up in honor. I want to honor you. And to do that, i got to humble myself. And what does it say? Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. It's not about me. And so when I honor God, when I choose to honor him with my life, with my actions, when I say, God, I must decrease, you must increase, that is also an act of worship. And it requires humility. Jesus, excuse me, it was Isaiah. It was actually quoted in the scriptures later. Isaiah said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. 
So the honor can happen with our lips, but as I asked earlier, how's the heart? Because it's really a matter of the heart. Do we honor him in our heart? Do we lift him up? Do we elevate him to the rightful place that he belongs? That is a beautiful act of worship. That's adoration. So hospitality, ethics, adoration. Um, The R is resources. So in this story, the lady that comes to Jesus brings what is an alabaster jar. Some of your translations will say a flask. And and, in those days, the way they stored these perfumes was in a flask with a tall, skinny neck. And the only way you could access the oil in the flask was to break the neck. Therefore, it's exposed and you're going to use it. Not like we have a cap or a lid that we put on it when we're through. And so she breaks what was an expensive gift, resource that she had. She brings it and she anoints the feet of Jesus. Um, The humility part, let me go back and just reference that. Because as I said earlier, it was customary for them to anoint the head of the guest, and that would be the, the thing that everyone was expecting. So when she anointed the feet of Jesus, that was a, a picture of her humbling herself at Jesus' feet and washing his feet. And so resources, she gave what she had, and it was costly. It cost her, but she brought what she had, and she gave it. And that, to me, is, is a beautiful act of worship, and for us as well, God has blessed each one of us somehow. Now, now don't, don't lose me here. Most people will say, well, I don't worship because I can't sing. And I would just say this, if you can't sing, please don't ask to be on the team. I don't worship because I'm not, I don't play any instruments. That's okay, but worship is so much more than music and singing. Each one of us have been given gifts and talents. Each one of us have resources different than others. And collectively, the body of Christ has everything they need to meet every need that might come our way. And when we get that, And we realize that we're not owners, but we're simply stewards of everything that God's, even the breath in my lungs, it's not mine. He gave it to me. I'm a steward of all that, right? And when we realize that, we're like, God, it's all yours anyway. What do you want to do with my talents? What do you want to do with my abilities, my training? What do you want to do with my resources? I've got great money. We've done well for ourselves. And what do you want me to do with the resources that you've put into my life? And how can I use that to honor you as an act of worship? Because how many know Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. And so using our resources... In a moment, and sometimes that's a sacrifice. Sometimes you're like, hey, I was putting this money back for a special day, and this need comes to my attention, and God's just laying it on your heart, and you're like, I'm wrestling, and I don't want to do it, and it's a, it's a sacrifice. I was reminded um, earlier when, we were, when I was leading worship years ago, we would come into the church, and we were required to be there, and we're getting ready for a worship service, singing songs of praise, and I'll be honest with you, I did not want to be there. Anybody else ever felt that way? And I'm the worship leader. I don't even want to be here today. I'm in a funk. I'm not feeling it. I don't want to be here, but I have to. The team's like, man, me too, bro. Rough week. Well, it's, it's a sacrifice of praise. So here's what we got to do, guys. We put the instruments down. We go behind a room much like this to a green room, and we would just get on our faces and say, God, I'm going to be honest with you because you know all things anyways. I don't want to be here, but you're still worthy of my praise. And I'm going to give you the sacrifice of praise. And so I ask that you just take what we got. And it may feel like I'm running on empty, but take that, God, as, a, as an act of praise, Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes our resources and our act of worship and those resources is costly, right? It was for her. It is for us as well. This Friday, we had an opportunity to minister to a guy that's coming through town. I won't give you all the details, but after we made sure he had fuel and, and some food and a little bit of cash to get him down the road, he was a vet, army vet. And I'm like, heck yeah, I'm, I want to help you out. 
He looks at me and he says, hey, I'm cold. Do you have a coat? And I was like, sure, man, I got one. And I was thinking I had this, I got this Walmart hoodie, this blue pullover, and it's in my truck most of the time. And I said, yeah, I got one in my truck and I'll give it to you. And so I walk over to my truck and I open the door and my head sunk because my blue hoodie wasn't in there. But my gray one, it said living water with a zipper down the middle. It's my favorite hoodie was in there. And I was like, really, God? (sighs) When you do it to the least of these, brethren, you do it to me. I was like, okay, all right. So I gave him the thing. And I don't say that to toot my horn, but I'm just saying that sometimes it's not what you want to do. Sometimes it is a sacrifice, amen? But when we use the resources that he's given to us to bless other people, that is an act of worship. And I think it blesses his heart. And lastly, the T in that heart acronym. And this is a big one. You can find scriptures all throughout, um, or verses all throughout the scriptures that speak of thankfulness. That we're to be thankful at all times. Bring the sacrifice of praise in the house of the Lord. You know, thanksgiving is like, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, his love endures forever. Over and over and over, we're to be a thankful people. And you know, when we show gratitude and when we're thankful people, that's an act of worship to God too. And, and I think there's something else at play here. Um, I think it's a, it's a beautiful testimony because we live in a world where a lot of people are unhappy and unthankful, Right? And they're just moaning and complaining about what they don't have or what's not going right in life. And as Christians, we should be the most thankful, the most joyful, the ones with the most smiles on their face. Why? Because we've been included into the family of God. And if this life is over, we know that we'll spend eternity with him because of our faith in him. We have every reason to be thankful this morning, don't we? Well, let me just let you in a little secret. Every one of us, every one of us in the room, for that matter, across the globe, identify more with the person who had the 500 silver debt, the big debt. Do you realize that? That the wages of sin is death, that our sins is like a debt of sin and there's nothing that we could ever do to repay it, not even on our best day. He says our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to his demand of righteousness. But the good news is through the gospel, we can be made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. I I don't know about you, but And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die to take away my sins. That's all the reason we need for Thanksgiving. Amen? And when we're a thankful people, we're giving thanks to God. And listen, you can do this on Monday through Saturday, even Sunday, not limited to church, but a thankful people, I think, honors God. And it's an act of worship as well. Positive attitude, testimony, be thankful always. And so let me just say this. Let's reframe. Um, what we consider to be worship. Let's broaden that definition or that understanding of what worship is and take it out of the church. Now, I'm not minimizing this because I think worship in the church is so, so cool. In fact, I think the worship in the church would be much more powerful if we got this truth that I'm sharing with you today. If we understood it as a heart thing and we understood it as beyond Sunday morning, 30 minutes at a time, but a lifestyle and we're continually worshiping God through our acts of service and all these things. And you could add many things to this list, by the way. This is my short little acronym to help us see just what worship looks like. And we could do all of those, those things. It would be a, a beautiful thing indeed. Amen? And so if we took it beyond the Sunday morning experience and see that and how honoring to God that would be. And, and so here's what I want us to do is just reframe our thinking to get outside of the box of Sunday, to look at worship from that perspective and say, am I worshiping God? How am I doing? I asked the question earlier, how are we doing? I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus invited you to coffee. Shane, I don't like coffee. Well, in this illustration, you do, so get over it, right? 
Jesus said, hey, let's go catch some coffee somewhere. And you go to your favorite place. And I'm going to go to Journey, right? I think Jesus would dig Journey. So I'm going to go to Journey, and we're going to get some coffee. And Jesus is sitting across the table from us. And he says, hey, heart to heart, man, can I, can I just ask you a serious question? Sure, Jesus, anything. And then Jesus were to say to us, you know, that DTR, define the relationship talk that boys and girls have all the time. You know, when the guy's not willing to make a move, he's like, I need to know what your intentions are. Define the relationship. And Jesus looks at us and says, hey, where's your heart? Because I love you like crazy. Where are you at? I wonder what that meeting would be like. It'd be a little awkward for me. I'm going to be honest. Jesus, I have to admit, I don't always give you the worship that you're worthy of. I have to admit, I'm not always hospitable. There's some people that I'd like to show kindness to, and there's some that I'd like to show the door to, just being honest. Jesus, I don't always live according to the standards of your word. I, I fail often, and so will you please forgive me again of those sins and cleanse me of that unrighteousness? I'm never good at showing that adoration, that honor to you, because I'm always busy trying to build my kingdom and, and build me up, and I'm sorry that I don't always spend time adoring you or giving the adoration that you deserve, Right? The resources, Lord, I, maybe I'm not always quick to, to give. I, I'm a giving guy. That's one of my weaknesses I've been taking advantage of many times over the years, but I'd rather err on that side than on the side of saying, ah, everybody's a crook, and they're out to just get you, you know, and miss an opportunity to serve. But maybe for you, you're like, Jesus, I, I've been kind of hanging on too tightly to these resources that are not mine in the first place, and I, and I, I want to have a, a better giving heart um, toward the people and the things and the opportunities you bring before me. Jesus, maybe I've been kind of grumbling a lot lately. I, I know that, you know, I've been blessed immensely, and golly, but life happens, you know, and I had this thing at work, and me and the old lady had a fight, or the kids are being just herds, and all these things that you do, and you're like, I'm just having a hard time with gratitude. And so, Jesus, would you forgive me for not having a thankful heart? I wonder what that meeting would be like for you if Jesus said, hey, DTR, dude, let's, let's talk about this. Where's your heart? And so my heart, and I just want to implore each one of us to just consider this idea of worship and how it's so, so much more than the Sunday morning experience. And it is a lifestyle, right? It's a lifestyle, and he's calling us to that. Listen to what Romans 12.1 says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you. This is Paul speaking. To give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Time out. What has he done for us? He's forgiven us. We had the mountain of debt, and in the gospel, he's forgiven us when we place our faith in him. That is amazing, right? So I plead with you to give your bodies, that is the totality of all you are, everything to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. I wonder sometimes when we leave the worship service, like, was the worship good this morning? And, and it's like, I shouldn't be asking you guys that. There's an audience of one that we should be asking, Lord, was that worship good today? Because he's the recipient of it, amen? And he says, this is the kind of worship that's pleasing to him, that living sacrifice. He says, this is truly the way to worship him. It's, it's everything, right? It's a heart of worship, it's a lifestyle, and he's calling us to that. And so let me just give you a challenge. Next week, it's Palm Sunday, right? And Palm Sunday, we celebrate and we remember the death of Christ. I mean, the price that was paid for us to have eternal life. The blood and the body, right? We'll observe communion next week. Before next week, don't wait till next week to come in and say, all right, let me get my mind in that frame of mind. But today, start, and Monday, when you go to work, when you're dealing with family, when you're dealing with circumstances, how can I worship God in my life 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever, when I come to church next Sunday on Palm Sunday, I can say, you're so amazing that you gave all of that so that I could be in the right relationship, right? And then after that, the next week is what? Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and because he lives, we have hope. We have it all because he lives, and what a reason to celebrate, amen? But the point I'm making is I don't want us to just limit our worship to those days and 52 other weeks, you know, 52 weeks in a year, but to look at it as a lifestyle. And what does it look like in your family, in your job, the way you deal with people and hospitality and your ethics and all these things, everything that we do is an opportunity, is an act of worship to a holy God is worthy of it. And so I would say this, imagine Jesus' comments. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. i got some good news for you. He's no respecter of persons. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, his love is just amazing, right? And we see the beautiful picture of this woman who comes, and yeah, her sins are many. He says they have been forgiven. And her natural response should be our same response as we've been forgiven so much. The Father's looking for worshipers, and we just come to him with the worship that he deserves. What would happen in our hearts, in our lives, in our worship services, in the church, if we, if we grabbed a hold of this truth? We'd see every opportunity that's in front of us, every phone call, every confrontation, every disruption as a possible act of worship to God, right? The work, you're like, oh, there's no way I can identify worship with work. Yes, you can. We do everything that we do is that we're doing it for him. Yet everything can be an act of worship, right? So what is worship? How are we doing? It's a heart's movement toward Jesus. And I hope that we see that. Because my desire is I don't want to go through the motions. And maybe it's just me. I mean, you may be cool with it. I'm not. I don't want to spend the rest of my days showing up and just going through the routine and all that. I want, I want him to have my whole heart, right? Jesus, I'm all yours. And I want my whole life to be an act of worship to you because he is absolutely worthy of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We could spend time just walking through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 and just put together a list of everything that has been made available to us because of the gospel. Lord, and just including that, all the other scriptures, uh, Lord, we don't deserve what you've done for us. And that's the beauty of it, the gospel, the good news, is because we didn't have to. It's not by works Lord, it's by your grace that you chose, even when we're in the middle of our sin, to send Jesus to die in our place. What a beautiful act of sacrifice it was made so that we could be in a right standing with you today. And Lord, I have to admit, and I'm ashamed to admit, that sometimes I act more like the Pharisee in that story. Like, I don't, I don't have room for, I, mean, I, don't, I don't need to be thankful for forgiveness because I didn't need to be forgiven much. I live a, a pretty good life. I do a lot of good things, and I really don't need the forgiveness that much. But when we do that, we just totally miss the opportunity and, and, and a right understanding and perspective of who we are and what we've been saved from. And so I pray that you would give each one of us the, the heart and the attitude that the woman that came into the house that day and demonstrated what authentic worship looks like, realizing that all of us have fallen short of your glory and that there's none righteous, not one person, that the only way we would ever be made right with you is by placing our faith in you and the gospel. And so God, I pray that if there be anyone here today that's not done that, that today would be the day that they just trust you. 
Lord, and like that lady or like the parable, the person that's forgiven of the bigger debt, let that be a reflection of our heart too to where we realize that we've been forgiven so much debt of sin that our natural response to that is love. Uh, Overwhelming love, adoration, that pouring it out before you in an act of worship. God, would you let that be um, a truth in our lives? Forgive us when we've made it less than that. Forgive it when we've missed the opportunities, Lord, to give you the worship that you so, so deserve. And for missing Lord, our purpose, what we're called to be and called to do. Lord, would you be honored in our lives as we leave this place, as we look forward to assembling again next week for another opportunity to worship you. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.